Hi, I'm Matana DeWitt, joined by Dr. Drew Johnson. Welcome to Discover Your Roots, a podcast that will give you tools for understanding the Bible in its original context and its wisdom for today. Let's get started. All right, we are back for another episode on stories. Um, a good place to start today, I think, would be going into a little bit more of what what makes a story and then what specifically makes a, a story in, in the Bible. Like what what are some of the, some unique factors that stand out as we look at stories in the Bible? So I kind of have a, a, a question, personal question. I think I just I asked you this before we started rolling, but I um, also want to ask this question to kind of start us off today. Uh, one of my favorite screenwriters is Aaron Sorkin, and I also previously admitted that I recognize that there's a uh, a, <laughs> a certain style that uh, Sorkin has where every single one of his movies, um, whether it's a, a few good men or Moneyball, you name it, um, has it the main character giving this um, impassioned speech, uh, this this monologue. I think he gets it from his time in working in uh like playwriting for for theater and that's that's his context. So anyway, I'm a sucker for that. I know it. Um, but he has this way of talking about storytelling that I find really interesting. Where he defines a story as a character who wants something and has to overcome an obstacle to get it. So as we think about storytelling within the framework of conflict resolution, how do we, you know, with with that definition of storytelling, how does that work with? our definition, our working definition of storytelling and stories here? Uh, the basic structure of story <clears throat> kind of remains unchanged no matter what we do. And ex- except for postmodern movies, which everybody hates because they rearrange or deconstruct uh, the structure of story. But it's, you have some kind of setting in which characters uh, in- encounter some kind of conflict that rises to sometimes a climax, but always a resolution. Um, and sometimes the climax and resolution are jammed together. Sometimes they're separated out from one another. We'll, we'll see a story like that in the Bible here in a minute. So beginning with a character's intentions doesn't get you out of that framework. It really is just uh, the entree in, into that framework. Um, interesting for our purposes that is in scripture the internal motivations of characters is almost always obscured from us we don't mm. know what they're thinking or why they're thinking it so i get you know when i teach hebrew bible we've gone from genesis up through samuels and it's you know all this story with very little to no internal motivation being explicit and then you, you get to king saul and samuel comes down and calls him out and says Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the governor uh, or the king of Israel? I think the governor of the tribes of Israel or something like that. And it's one of the first times that you have this very clear, like, I know your internal struggle here. Mm. Uh, you are a big man, but you think you're little and you listen to the wrong voices because of it. So, mm. and I'm like telling that my students like, look, look, finally, we know <laughs> what this person is thinking. We know what they're, we know they're insecure. We know why they're insecure. At least there's a little psychologizing of the character. So, uh, so what are you doing in a storied landscape where you really have no internal motivation or like, oh, I want that thing over there. I mean, Genesis three, you could say is one of the clearest statements of somebody saw something and wanted it and had mm-hmm. to overcome something as well in order to get it. Um, but again, that's done in the, in, in the matter of a one sentence, all of that description happens very quickly. Like it's already happened by the time you're figuring out like, now what just happened, mm. right? As, as a, a reader. Um, 
So I think we can think of like the structure of story as the immovable pieces that have to be in play for various reasons that we'll talk about here. Um, and then we can talk about the various and creative ways that you come into that story, right? So, so you can have a story where somebody is trying to figure out who they are. That's the big story that the movie's telling or the book is telling. Um, but the director might drop you in right in the middle of that story and then back up and, and go to the beginning. So I, I think we're talking about styles and techniques versus the actual structure of narrative itself. Mm. The structure can't really change that much. Uh, and one of the reasons it can't change is because it's a logical structure. It's the same as that syllogism I keep on talking about. All men are uh, mortal. Socrates is the man. Therefore, Socrates is mortal. That There are immovable pieces in that little syllogism, that little piece of logic. In the same way, all stories have to have a conflict that comes to resolution. And typically, we think that the conflict resolution, that that dynamic, which has to be logical. So if if you tell me what the conflict is, I already have a sense of what the resolution has to be like, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, and this happens all the time where people are like, well, what's, what's your problem in life right now? And they're like, well, I just can't get a girlfriend, right? Um, you're like, well, what, what do you think that's going to do for you? Well, I think it's going to make me rich. And you're like, wait, those, those two things, you know, don't <laughs> fit together. Those aren't logically connected. So this is, this is very tricky because we get very distracted by lots of things going on in stories and scriptures. And so I think we need more training. This is one of my literature colleagues said, one of the reasons uh, Christians tend to be pretty bad readers of scripture in some cases of story is because they don't, re they don't really un understand how to read story in general. Mm -hmm. uh, and they don't think enough about the structures of story. Mm -hmm. So that's probably what we ought to do now is think about the structure of story. Yeah. So you mentioned that uh, the that logical structure. I know that story can have this ethereal, intuitive feel where mm -hmm. some people may think, well, it's either a good story or it's not, but there's more to it than that. Right. So can you kind of talk a little bit about what is what is the more to it? Like what is what is a logical structure of story? And specifically, how does that show up in the Bible? Um, so the logical structure is, is that simple conflict that stated rising tension and resolution that's the structure it's it's pretty simple along the way again like we said last last episode with you know math problems and logical problems you know exactly which are the premises and which which are things you can toss to the side in story you figure out the premises as you go along you, you see it we're working towards a particular resolution and the resolution can often cause you to reorder everything you knew in the story so i think of Fight Club is a great example. I wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily recommend everybody watch that, but <laughs> if you have the stomach for it, um, there's information at the end of this. The resolution to the story at the end causes you to reorder every piece of information in the mm, entire story. I think of Shutter Island, too. I haven't seen but, that. Okay. <clears throat> That's a, a DiCaprio <clears throat> one, but also also a little bit, uh, you have to have the stomach for it. <laughs> yeah. So this is a very popular technique now in movie telling is to have this Big, we might even t call it a, um, you know, a, a um, there's a name for this where you have a big turn at the end or you have a big turn at somewhere. You realize somebody who you thought was your ally the whole way through yeah. or it turns out to be your enemy or, um, and it causes you to reinterpret everything up to mm -hmm. that point. So, but just the fact that it causes you to reinterpret already implies that there's a logical structure that, that you thought was one way. But now that you know what the resolution is or now you know what the new conflict is, you reorder everything in light mm -hmm. of that. So let me tell you a story. And then we'll, it's a very simple story. And then we'll think together 
I already know the answers. So, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, but we'll, we'll think together out loud, like, what is going on in this story? Or maybe the, the, the bad que- – or it's, it's a fun question to ask is, what is this story about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so imagine I told you this story. It's two sentences. Um, on the way to work, I bought a cup of coffee. Coming through the revolving doors, I spilled – sorry, I can't see in the glare here. I spilled, my, I spilled it down my pants. Uh, American version of pants, not British version of pants. I searched for anyone who had spare clothes in the office. Finding none, I eventually decided to go home and change over lunch, which meant that my morning was rather soggy. Um, so I'm going to read it again. It's a short story. And we're, we'll think about what are those logical components that must be there in order to make sense. On the way to work, I bought my cup of coffee. Coming in through the revolving doors, it spilled down my pants. I searched for anyone who had spare clothes in the office, finding none. I eventually decided to go home and change over lunch, which meant that I had a rather soggy morning. Okay, so what is the structure? So what's the setting there, just to state what's obvious? The office, going to the office. Going into the office, the daily routine, presumably, Mm -hmm. of buying coffee, right? So this is just work-a-day stuff, literally. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's the conflict? Spilling coffee. Okay, you nailed it. First try. <laughs> Ooh, yay. Spilling coffee. Uh, well, let's be more specific. Mm-hmm. So not just spilling coffee, but spilling coffee. Down pants. Down my own pants, down your own right? Pants. Yeah, exactly. Which creates this search for uh, a remedy, which mm-hmm. the remedy in this case is, well, the remedy was presumed to be what? Uh, another pair of clothes, yeah. another pair of pants. Another pair of clothes. You search for them in the office. Can't find anybody who has spare clothes. Uh, it, which is, by the way, when you work in New York City, where people a lot of time people come in from out of town, like people keep spare clothes in the office. <laughs> I'm like, you know, that thought did cross my mind. I'm like, man, I don't know if that would be a, yeah. a solution I would find for myself in yeah, I, Allen, Texas. <laughs> yeah, I, I often will keep a spare tie, a spare shirt, or something. That makes so sense. yeah. Um, so uh, what's the resolution? Um, finding none. <laughs> Going going home to change and having a soggy morning. Okay. Uh, so soggy morning is technically, we would call that part of the continuing action, the ah. after effect. Like, and they lived happily ever after. The, except the in this moral case. of the story. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So yeah. let's think about that. So here, I'm going to give you a multiple choice question because okay. people love those, right? Um, <laughs> what is this story about? A, wasted lunchtime. B, clumsy me. C, dry clothes at home. Or D, soggy morning. I would say D, soggy morning. Okay, soggy morning. So now we can put this to the test. Is this really about a soggy morning? All we have to do is look at the conflict and resolution. All that other stuff is interesting, and it might help us sculpt out or fine-tune a little bit. But uh, really, we just need to think about the conflict and resolution. Conflict is spilled coffee on my pants uh, and found none and decided to go home, right? Uh, and change clothes over lunch. Uh, sorry, uh, sorry. The resolution is ultimately I change clothes over lunch. Um, okay. So the conflict is spilled coffee on my pants. Resolution is change clothes over lunch. I'm going to give you another choice, uh, another chance here. <laughs> In other words, you're wrong, Matana. No, no, no. I, I, I just want you to think about okay. like, okay. So if that if the conflict is spilled coffee, change clothes over lunch, uh, is this story about a wasted lunchtime? Clumsy me, dry clothes at home, or soggy morning? Maybe dry clothes at home. Okay. Should I read the choices again? <laughs> no, I, I want you to question. I, I'm intentionally trying to get you to question your own your, your okay. yourself here because I think this is part of it. Like 
sometimes story stories when they're reasoning with us, we have to think more carefully about exactly mm-hmm. what what techniques and what they're doing, what they're placing where. Yeah, so the issue the issue here is that I had to go home and and we get this addendum that my I had a rather soggy morning. Mm-hmm. And the, the question is, we can say lots of true things about this story, like uh clumsy like all of those things, wasted lunchtime, clumsy me, dry clothes at home, soggy morning. Those are all true things. The question is is that what the story's all about? Mm-hmm. Um so uh we could also read this story as not just arguing with us but lecturing us. Um mm-hmm. so there, this is kind of what you call the ought dressed up as the is. I'm just going to describe something to you. So like, you know, your mom in the morning saying, you know, Drew, it's 8 a.m., right? She's not just telling you a fact about the time, right? She's like, <laughs> yeah. she's saying, uh, she's saying something that is true, but she's saying it in a way that has an ought aspect to it. Mm. So, you know, the ought could, you know, I could be like, this could be a Robert California moment, you know, like, Matana, I want to tell you a story. You know, I was coming in, right? And and what I'm really saying is like careful with coffee and revolving doors or careful with liquids and revolving doors or um, don't buy coffee. You know, maybe that's the point or maybe keep a change of clothes at work, right? Mm. That would be the other one. Um, these are all derivables. These are all things that you can kind of – that seem to be circling like vultures over the story like mm. as a possible lesson. Um and I can think about bad preaching that happens from the story. So imagine if that was a Bible story, right? There was once was a man from Tekoa who spilled wine on his <laughs> loincloth uh, on the way to work. And finding no loincloths, right, he's searching up and down in, in the farm. He could find no other loincloths and had to go back to his house and try it out, whatever. Um, so when we talk about the point of the story, we the way we check is we just keep on going back to the conflict resolution. Because those are the two things of all – you know, think about it this way. Of the thousands of things the narrator could have put as the details relevant to the story, they chose these things. Mm-hmm. Going back to John's statement, right? Of the many things I could have said about Jesus, uh, they would have filled books, but I chose these things in order that you might be confident. So what did I choose here? Uh, I, have to, I have to remember. What did I choose? <laughs> Spilling coffee on pants uh, that gets resolved by a changed clothes over lunch. What was your? What did you ultimately say? What's the story about wasted lunchtime, clumsy me, dry clothes, soggy morning? My my first guess was soggy morning. Okay. Yeah. Um, so certainly, uh, certainly soggy morning fits. I think it's a possibility. I think wasted lunchtime, this is where we go like, well, is wasted lunchtime or soggy morning a better – one mm. or and and what are the what are the indicators in the story that they seem to care more about spare clothes or you know maybe dry clothes at home oh, right yeah, or dry yeah. clothes in the office trying to find or find a way to save time yeah. in, in this getting the solution basically yeah. so so these are kind of factors that we're we're weighing uh, on several axes now like what are the details of the story what's the logical conflict that comes to resolution and then also like who's telling me the story and why are they telling me the story mm. right. Um, so stories are told by someone to someone, um, and that's never accidental. I mean, the stories I tell my children are not the same stories I tell other people are not the same stories I might tell my dad or uh, my students. Um, so these are all like basic techniques for thinking about how story is crafted and what it might possibly mean. And, uh, when I say bad preaching, I can think of lots of ways to bad preach, uh, this story, um, so you can imagine if you're someone who constantly spills coffee on yourself or you spill liquids on yourself, you might read the story and identify immediately with the character and go like, oh, that's me. Um, and, uh, and then go off and like, oh, this story is, you know, they're trying to get us to imagine just that coffee that's initially so burning hot and then it turns cold weirdly. Why does it get cold so quickly? 
They're trying to, you know, they're really, you know, like we all know that. Why does cotton absorb so quickly and it just sticks right on you? And why is it that, you know, just having wet clothes on is so annoying? Like what? Um, you can imagine if you identify too closely with the character, you go off in all kinds of directions. You in, notice what I'm doing. I'm inventing stories and putting them in the gaps of the story. Or I'm getting caught up on the shiny object uh, mm. because because I know what it's like. Um, and maybe all of those things could be true. The question is, is, is that what the story is all about? Is that why the author uh, chose to tell us the story and in this particular way? Um, there's also, if we were to preach the story, I mean, I, I want to point out because people are like, preach the story. But it is stories like this that are made. I mean, the Bible is made up of stories like mm-hmm. this, very simple um uh, strung together stories that make bigger stories, uh, the stories of the lives of these people, Israel. Um, and so in some ways, it's not really that much different than the stories we find in Scripture. Um, but you can imagine bad preaching that kind of doesn't acknowledge the conflict resolution and wants to talk about how immoral we are because we never keep changes of clothes, you know. And um, I mean, even if it's right, like the way you get at it from the story, uh, it might be hung up on a particular shiny object of the story or the temperature of the coffee or something mm-hmm. like that. It's like that, what flavor were the Tic Tacs that got stolen? That, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of that kind of question. Um, and what happens when we identify too closely or we ignore the conflict resolution tension or we uh, get absorbed in a shiny object within the story? Like we just can't let it go. Um, and anytime I teach interpretation – and we go through stories, there is always somebody or somebody's who literally cannot let something go in the story. And like, and they're like, yeah, but th- this is what really awoke me. You know, my, like, like everybody has some transformational moment with any story you tell from scripture. Um, you're like, well, that's, I'm glad that happened for you. That's just not what the story is about. <laughs> like one thing I know, that's not what the story is about. So, um, we, again, we're talking about l- allowing the biblical author turn the volume up on their voice, which means we allow them to tell the story the way they want to tell it. We don't inject stories where there are gaps and we honor the structure of the story that they've given us, not the structure that they we wish they would have given mm. us. And, and we'll look at two stories here that definitely have a, we wish they would have given us something else or more or something different. Mm. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Well, so let's go full Bible story, both in okay. Genesis because Genesis just has you know classical Hebrew prose and storytelling in it, um, so we'll begin in uh, Babel, um, and so I don't have my Bible with me. <laughs> my Bible is outside. Okay. You, are you are you are you here. doing? You can do a block cut here. <laughs> I, I refuse to read off of a phone. Oh, okay. In, in principle, yeah. Sorry, Cade. So while Cade retrieves my Bible, um, ah, thank you. I actually think we should leave this in. (laughs) Welcome to real life. (laughs) Okay, this is what life. Shout out to Cade, our producer, who is manning all the tech. Oh, (laughs) oh, have you? (laughs) It's great. Hello, Cade. Um, So we go to Genesis chapter eleven. This great little story that ends the first section of Genesis. Um, and if I were just to ask you from your memory, like, what's the story of Babel about? What do what do most people? You know, not for you. What do most people on the yeah, street say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Disassociate myself. Yeah, with this, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So people, as people started to uh, become, well, as they became more in number um, at the 
toward the beginning of the world, I think most people yeah. would say. Um, they congregate and decide, you know what, we want to build this tower to heaven because we are great and wonderful. And so they do that. And then God stops them in their tracks because either I think people are often really concerned, like concerned and confused about this part. Um, was God threatened by them? Okay. Um, did, did he just want to? kind of stop them before they did something stupid like what was the yeah. motive here but regardless of the motive god stops their their work because we don't know their, their inner thoughts yeah exactly okay, yeah. um by confusing their languages and then from this all these people disperse all over the world and begin to populate different areas excellent okay um so there's so many questions pregnant and everything that you just said um and I noticed I asked you what the story is about, and you just retold me the story. I did, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Which Look I think there's some truth in what you did. Like mm-hmm. what the story is about is actually – it's a short story. It's a few sentences long. Let's just hear the story, right? Mm-hmm. And there's um, – you know, why, why didn't you just say it more directly? Because you thought the most direct way was just to tell me the story, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's entirely wrong. But if we were to say like, well, what's it about? Like what's the point of this story? What's the moral of the story, as mm-hmm. we like to say? What would you – what would people – what would people on the street say? <laughs> um, what might they say? Let's see. That people needed to know this story because they needed to know how all of how how people begin to populate the world and how God began to create communities mm. in other places okay. that wasn't just one central community. So the diversification of humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would argue that if you read chapter ten, this this is already uh, this is not everybody in the world. This is actually just uh, Ham's descendants mm-hmm. uh, who move into the east into the plains of Shinar, as described in chapter ten. Um, but it certainly explains how people get diversified in a specific way. Um, is it what's the moral lesson we're supposed to draw out of this hmm. so now we're talking about hebraic thought like what mm-hmm. what are the th- what is the thinking that is being driven by why is this story or how does this story contribute as a pixel in a larger series of understandings about what human humans are and what they're supposed to be doing hmm. well i guess um yeah maybe the their focus on god had become confused um, their emphasis on what was most important had become okay. confused. So what was most important to them? Let's see. <laughs> what was most important to them? Probably, I even see like maybe even parallels of like in human nature, what's what's kind of tends to be most important to us, which is uh, power, money, okay. um, prominence in some way, security. Security, maybe. yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's just read the story and let's think about what the um, – Conflict that comes to resolution is. Uh, also, one of the ways that we can suss some of this out is repetition, mm. especially in Genesis. They're, the author is very good about telling us very short stories with strategic repetition to help focus our attention on what they're trying to tell us and say, yeah, yeah, I'm not talking about that other thing. Um, and uh, I will just note that in my Bible, the name of this passage is the Tower of Babel, not the City of Babel, which is interesting. They're already kind of stacking the deck here. Okay, so I'm going to do Drew's international translation, if you don't mind, because I just can't <laughs> handle other translations. Um, now, the whole land had one language and the same words, and the people migrated from the east. They found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower in its top into the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole land. 
And Yahweh came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And Yahweh said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So Yahweh dispersed them from there over the face of the whole earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because Yahweh confused the language of all the earth. And from there, Yahweh dispersed them over the face of all the land. Earth and land are interchangeable. There's there's no specific word for earth versus land. It's, it's all ha'eretz, as most mm-hmm. people know who've been to Israel. Um, okay. So, what are the big features here? The city. What else? The city. Uh, the the people who don't want to be dispersed. They don't want to be dispersed. Okay, yeah. So, that was a big one. They say, let let us build a city with a tower mm. in the heavens, lest we be dispersed. Which speaks to motive, which often we don't get. <laughs> exactly. So, here, and I just said we don't get much motive, and here are the two stories <laughs> of name. Yes, we're, we're getting motive. Like, lest we be dispersed. We mm. don't want this thing. Okay. So they don't want to be dispersed. Uh, now, why is that ironic in the story? Because in the end, they are dispersed. Yeah, and uh, and and you said that it's interesting. You said that they God confuses their language and disperses them. And here's the question: Does the dispersing confuse the language, or does the confusing language disperse the people? Mm. Don't worry, we can answer this with the text. Uh, <laughs> as as we like to say, every question we have can usually be answered by looking at the text. So, notice the repetition. Uh, Other theological problems people might have with this is God doesn't seem to be fully aware of what's going on, and he has to come down to see. Uh, He does Mm -hmm. this again in Genesis 18, like, let me go down to the land of Sodom and see if the the outcry that's come up to me is altogether true. So we see this God who has to, like, come check things out for himself. And the irony is they're building the tower up in the heavens, and he has to come down, like, let let me come down and see what these people are doing. Excuse me. So... Um, he says, let us go down there and confuse their language. It doesn't actually say how he confuses their language. You just get this repetition. So Yahweh dispersed them from there over the face of the whole land. And then the last sentence, and so Yahweh dispersed them from the face of the whole land. Now, if you were to say, what's the conflict that comes to resolution? Conflict is like, uh-oh, what's going to happen next? Resolution is like all the gas is out of the bag. Like mm. we feel like everything is like whatever whatever was going on here, it's now settled. So what what would you say is the conflict resolution? Um, I would say the conflict comes whenever God decides to come down and, and see. Oh, interesting. Um, it could be okay. wrong. Okay, so now this is great because now that you've given me that as a conflict option, I can already tell you the possibilities for the resolution. Mm. If it's he's come down to see, then the resolution is and he saw. Mm. Okay. That's that's a little short sighted. It, it for limits resol- the yeah, yeah. Um intended. So that maybe the conflict is the motive, not wanting to be dispersed. Okay, so we can test it. So if if not wanting to be dispersed, then either they will be dispersed or they won't be dispersed. Does mm. the author take any, the narrator here, do they seem to care about the issue of uh, dispersion? Seems like it. Well, and why so? Let's just state because, what's obvious. Because that's how it ends. <laughs> the, well, at least this bit of the story. Yeah, this is how it ends and with a repetition. So Yahweh dispersed them from over the face of the earth. Uh, and it's called Babel, then a note. So Yahweh dispersed them from all the face here. Mm. When we see uh, a it's repetition like an exclamation like that, point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, just in case you were wondering, yes, it was Yahweh dispersing them from over the face of the earth. And, mm-hmm. and then we could argue, I, I might argue that dispersing them actually is what creates the various languages mm. um, by the logic of Genesis 10. But 
good people can disagree on these things. Um, so here we go. When we ask what this is about, it's the fear lest we be dispersed. So Yahweh disperses them. So whatever we want to say about the story, it has to primarily account for the fact that the author of all the things they could have described in here, the tower, I would say the tower is the big shiny object. Mm. Um, the fact that it's built of, actually for ancient Israelites, uh, the fact that the city was built of uh, clay, clay brick mm. or um, dirt brick, um, that would be a big shiny object too. Notice it says they had, uh, well, let's see, how, how do they translate it here? Um, brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. That already presumes whoever wrote that, that thought that stone and mortar were the normal construction uh, tools. Mm. And they, like, look at these weirdos. They had this, they had this other construction tool. So it seems to be something pictured from somebody sitting in the land of Judah, mm. who's used to uh, brick and, or sorry, stone and mortar for constructing things. And they're like, yeah, but over there they use mud bricks. You know, how weird. And bitumen for their mortar. Um, so at the end of the day, we could say lots of things about what this, uh, we could say several things about what this story is about, but anything that we say that tries to create a new story and inject it in or ignores the fact that their concern about being dispersed is exactly what God does to settle the problem in, in, uh, in Babel. Anything that ignores that conflict resolution is in some way ignoring the voice of the biblical author here. Mm. Uh, they set these things in tension. And double down at the end to make sure you knew this is the focus of this story. Hmm. Um, and, and, and we'd have to move from there to, you know, think about more carefully, like, well, so what, so what is the thing? Um, and you mentioned security, fame, uh, fame and other things might be ways of, uh, uh, creating security for themselves, but certainly there is a desire to create security. Uh, security, insecurity is being dispersed. Hmm. Um, and so we could say things like, Trusting God, even in being dispersed, you know, and and we see this with Abraham. It's a very next chapter. They're trying to make a name for themselves. Very next chapter is a genealogy of a guy named name Shem. Literally, the guy's name is name, like a guy named guy. And then, um, names children end up in Abraham and God. And the very first thing we see God saying to Abraham is, I'm going to make your name great. Right. And so these are not accidental features Mm. tying these two stories together. And we could say, yeah, there's something about being dispersed, filling the earth, being fruitful, multiplying, filling the earth that requires some kind of trust in God that you don't know need to um, require mm. your own security for. Hmm. Um, Almost like the well, how Abraham became a sojourner yeah. where he didn't have like a, a place, location, a tower. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. And, and everything we just said there doesn't require any focus on the tower, mm. the Tower of Babel. It's interesting, but not necessary. Hmm. Okay, one final story, because it's a juicy one, uh, to seal the deal here. And this is probably like one of the most distracting stories in Genesis. I'll just, I'll just admit it right out of the gates. <laughs> and we can, we can do it very quickly. Um, it's called the Akedah, the Binding of Isaac, Genesis 22. Uh, it begins with this banger of a sentence. After these things, God tested Abraham, saying to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So many interesting things going on here. This story then describes how he takes his son with his servants in a, in a donkey saddled with uh, the, the instruments for sacrifice. And how they head along to this place. Notice we don't know where this place is. It's in, and Abraham doesn't know. He's like, mm. just go <laughs> and I'll show it to you. And then, and so there's this really interesting thing about obscuring the place until he sees it. And then he sees the place. Um, 
And then the other thing I find interesting here, it's only 10, nine sentences long, this whole story. And in it, every single mention of Isaac or Abraham, it's Isaac, his son, Abraham, his father, my father. Yes, my son. I mean, that like, did mm. we need to be reminded how these two people were related to each other? That <laughs> Abraham and Isaac were father and son. And it's just over the top, repeated, 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 repeated. And then you hit this one little spot where they see the place. And he says, stay here. Me and my son will go over there. Um, and then, um, and then he takes the wood, he takes the knife, he takes his son, he lays him on his son. And it says, and they go over there, uh, both of them together. And this is the interesting part is, uh, it's uh, what we call an inclusio. So this is a technique where you say something, then you give a little information, and then you say the exact same thing again. And it, it means to bracket off that information. Mm. So they went, both of them together. And then Isaac is like, I see the fire, I see the knife, or I see the wood, I see the knife. Where is the offering? And do, I, do you remember what his answer is? The Lord will provide. Yeah, Yahweh will see to it or, or provide mm. an offering for himself. Um, and then it says, and, and, and then it closes that out with, so they went both of them together. So that's the little, it's a little bracketing. Like, mm. here's this little thing that happened. Uh, and the, the issue was, where's the offering? Yahweh will provide the offering. He takes him up on the mountain. He takes the knife. And at the very moment, I know we imagine the knife up here, but actually he's probably going to slit his throat. So the very moment where he's going to slit his throat, the angel shows up like perfect timing, mm. um, stops him and uh, says, do not harm your son for now I know that you fear Yahweh. So great. Now what's interesting is, is this the, you know, uh, where is all the, the tension? Where, where does it leave the story, right? So, because there's all kinds of possible conflicts here. So let's think about the resolution. Where Where is this story resolved? Um, do you have an idea off the top of your head? Where he sacrifices the ram that God provides in the bushes. Yeah, that's exactly what I would say. Too. Oh, well, great. <laughs> <laughs> because you could say, oh, where the angel stopped him. And you're like, well, yes, but there's still like a question. What's mm. going to happen? What are these two going to end? But when he sees the ram, you're like, okay, that's good. But when it, even the language here is Abraham took the ram and offered up as a burnt offering instead of his son, mm. right? So even the narrator is letting you know it is now finished, right? And here's the interesting part. So Abraham called the name of that place, Yahweh will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mountain of Yahweh, it shall be provided. Hmm. Uh, so we have lots of things going on here. Sacrifice your son. He didn't sacrifice his son, but he was willing to. And so what will we say, you know, if we're going by literary technique and storytelling, what, what are the conflict that comes to re resolution? Um... Well, I'm going to work backwards. So if the resolution is God providing a ram in the bushes, then the conflict would be needing to sat needing to make a sacrifice but it having to be the son. Okay. Yeah. So I like how you did it. You worked backwards. And, <laughs> and I assume you work from God will provide a sacrifice because it's double stated. Again, mm -hmm. it's repeated at the end where the author is going like, just in case you miss it, this is what we're yeah. talking about. God will provide the sacrifice. Yeah. And so here you could actually say several things. We could say something like the conflict is, will God provide? Or what kind of sacrifice will God provide? Is it going to be Isaac or something else? Mm -hmm. Right. Because he doesn't say God's going to provide a ram. He just says God's going to provide mm -hmm. the, the sacrifice. Almost um, makes me think, like as as even as we're working through the story, if someone's reading it for the first time, even though 
you feel like the the sacrifice of his son is coming. It's like you're hoping that that's not how right. it turns out. Right. So even that that tension itself, I guess, would kind of speak to conflict. Yes, and I and I yeah, I think the conflict is multifaceted here mm-hmm. and dense, and there's many thousands and millions of pages have been written on this one little passage in Jewish and Christian thought. Um, I read this passage because I feel like most people read this passage for the first time and they think like I did when I first read it, when I became a Christian, I was like, wait, God asked a dude to kill his son. Uh, and he later bans this practice, right? And says this is immoral. Um, and I, you know, I got hung up on the question, like, can God do that? Can he ask me, you know, if I have a son or my, can he ask me to kill my mother? And, um, I don't think it's a necessarily horrible question to puzzle through and say, what kind of a God is this? Is he wise, loving, and just in this particular way? Um, I just want us to notice in this story, that is not the question the author is addressing. Hmm. Um, if we're asking questions like, what kind of a God would ask a man to kill his son, his only son whom he loved? We have to walk away from the story going like, yeah, we're not worried with, about that question. Um, when we get to the New Testament, we can say, Actually, we do know a God who's willing to kill a son, his only son, whom he loves, right? Mm. We get to transfiguration and the baptism and, he's, and the clouds open up. So this is my beloved son. We realize he's he's doing throwback here and mashup to uh, the Akedah. Um, so this is one of those places where I think it's especially difficult for us to focus with the narrator and not get distracted by literally a shiny object, the knife in his hand or the mm. possibility of a father having to kill their son and just have to say, that it's not an irrelevant question. It does get addressed as you keep reading into the legal reasoning, but it's not the question that the biblical author is addressing here. And so it might be unfair to hold this story hostage to that question mm-hmm. uh, and hear them out. And so they want to say, yeah, 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 that's true. And we need to work through all of that. But God provided. Right? God brought him through this. He tested him and, and God provided. Mm. Wow. And with that, <laughs> you, might, you might need to leave stories there. All right. Well, thank you for those uh, two really great examples. I hope that this has been helpful uh, for you all listening to maybe have some tools to go into stories um, in the Bible as you're reading through stories to kind of have this framework to work through. Um, So we're going to leave stories now. And next episode, we're going to be talking about the epistles uh, moving into the New Testament. We've talked a lot about the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, um, and we want to kind of translate the things that we've been learning about Hebraic thought as it relates to the Old Testament and bring them into the New Testament because it's still very applicable. Um, So we're looking forward to that, and we will meet you back here then. Thanks for listening to Discover Your Roots. This podcast is brought to you by the Passages team and is made possible by our generous donors. If you'd like to make a contribution to the work we do, please visit PassagesIsrael.org and click the donate button. To find more resources about the Bible in its original context, the roots of the Christian faith in Israel, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, Jewish-Christian relations, and more, subscribe to our newsletter at PassagesIsrael.org forward slash foundations. Again, that's passagesisrael.org forward slash foundations. You can also follow us on social media to learn more about Israel and the Bible at Passages Israel. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, I'm Matana DeWitt. Thanks for listening.